But let me just tell you just a few things you can write down. Teaching is, is related to divine explanation. It's a divine explanation. But preaching is divine inspiration. They are two different venues related to the same word. They are received differently, and they should be. So when I talk about holiness here, or holiness standards, or outward appearances, or conduct, or language, most of the time, 99% of the time, I want to teach that to people one-on-one or in a classroom setting. I don't want to preach it because there needs to be room for explanation and dialogue and questions. Does everyone understand that? So if I'm talking to you about lifestyle, uh, I may preach a little bit now and then, but I teach that, and so does Sister Tammy teaches that. One of our holiness classes that's conducted by Crystal Fisher has had great, three or four years now, has had great benefit because young girls, young boys get to teach, get to learn, and they get to ask the questions. So I just want to break down these five offices um, and there actually could be, could be a, a merging of two of them. But let's talk about the five offices. And I won't list them in order that they're found in Ephesians 4.11. So the teacher, you can just do equals, the equal sign, instructs. Everyone say instructs. The teacher instructs. Now, you don't have to be called to be the, in the office of a teacher to be an instructor. You can teach the gospel, the Bible, but not be in the office of the teacher. I will just tell you that when Raymond Woodward comes here, he, this is my opinion, he holds the office of a teacher. He'll tell you that even though he's called pastor at home, there's another man that pastors, but he really is a teacher. He's such a profound teacher. People call him an evangelist, which he is not. He's a profound teacher. The evangelist um, is a little different in that the evangelist often operates in one of the gifts, a very specific gift. He operates almost entirely in the gift of faith because preaching is done through faith. How can they hear except there be a preacher? So the evangelist operates in faith and the evangelist is primarily concerned with the gospel message. It's the gospel. So when we see an evangelist, a true evangelist, he often operates in the gift of faith. Think David Smith. This is being live. Brother Smith, you might be listening to me now. So I ask for your forgiveness. He's a little quirky. He's a little, little odd, you know. He knows it. <laughs> and yet, I don't know anyone who has more of a pure faith just operating the gift of faith. I can tell you now about a dozen things happened on the last night that he was here that has blown my mind in the lives of people that I can't believe it. But it, I mean, I do believe it because you've given me testimony of it. About a dozen different things that happened when he was speaking. God was using him and his pure gift of faith. It was like a childlike faith. Nothing that he said was going to go to waste. The evangelist operates in that gift because it takes faith to receive the gospel. The prophet 
operates in the office of prophecy. So just want you to know this because some people have considered themselves a prophet and they're not a prophet because they've been used in the gift of prophecy. You can be used in a gift of prophecy and not be a prophet. You can go in and out of prophecy. I've prophesied before the people. Um, One night in the old campus, I told a story and wrote... And, and people brought pieces of paper and I wrote down on a piece of paper a prophecy. I'm hundreds of those. Last year, someone brought their paper to me and said, it came to pass. And I didn't even remember what I wrote. That was using the gift of prophecy, but I'm not a prophet. And of course, the Bible says that anyone who is a prophet should never call themselves a prophet. So anyone who tells you they're a prophet or a prophetess, they are not a prophet or prophetess. And they've just made a huge mistake. And if you are a prophet and you make a mistake, well, in the Old Testament, they stoned you. Oh. We're going we're to talk about stoning here because I think it's, a, it's an art that's lost. The apostle, the apostle is a unique man. I often think the apostle has been used in all the other, all the gifts and may have even served in some of the other offices, maybe all of them. He is the thumb. He grips, he touches all the other areas. The teacher that digs, the pastor that's married to the people, the evangelist that goes out farther, the prophet that's the pointing, forthtelling and foretelling, and the, and the apostle that has the grip. He's the grip. And I've told you this many times that the thumb is is the balance of the hand. And then when they conquered kings, they would cut off the thumb because he could no longer hold a sword. The apostle establishes. So you won't know this man. Maybe a few of you might have heard of the man, Benny de Merchant, who was the apostle to Brazil, who when he died had over 2,000 ministers that he had trained. Probably over, I think the number was around 180,000 uh, Pastor Stark goes to Brazil on a regular basis now and he's finding hundreds and hundreds of ministers that were established by Benny de Merchant. He was an apostle. Of course, he was also one of the most profound men. He's the only man who had a stamp, a national stamp, postage stamp, uh, with his face and name on it in the country of Brazil. He was an apostle. He establishes something. Usually the apostle will establish something new territories. But the apostle also establishes preachers and teachers. And then comes the pastor. The only likeness I can give you in the pastorship is the shepherd. He is shepherd or he shepherds. It's the act of caring. The pastor is the act of caring. But in the biblical writ... In the order, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, and here's the last one, and pastors and teachers, which are combined in that Greek text. They're very, they're almost inseparable because the, the pastor also is a teacher. The teacher may not always be a pastor, but the pastor is always a teacher. Everybody got that? So we're talking about the offices. These are offices. Now these offices can be resonant inside of a church as long as they all, all fall under the umbrella and the authority of the angel to the city, which is the pastor. So they've got to fall under that umbrella. 
So we could have an office of a prophet here or an action, and a prophet, a teacher. We could have an evangelist, a resident evangelist here. But they must fall in line under the umbrella of authority given to the local church. Paul, and I won't go through this, but Paul will order it in this way that the authority is given to the pastor for the local congregation. He is directed to feed the flock and he is an overseer to the flock. Now these are important to note, these offices. They are not many, but the congregation, the believer, the saint should be operating in the various gifts of the Spirit. So if the offices... Are you ready for this? I don't know. I, 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 I want to tell you, on a little side note, um, now let, bear in mind, I'm incredibly biased. Just, I'm incredibly biased. You know, Sam Walton, he never promoted Target or Kmart. You know, he established Walmart, right? Um... I don't know if, you, you, if, if all of you understand how much liberty we have at New Life in the Spirit. We have a tremendous amount of liberty in the Spirit. The Spirit flows very freely here. And it does so because, number one, we allow God to be what he wants to be. Number two, we are submissive one to another. And number three, there's, there is a high level of unity in this house. Now, we can kill that anytime we want to. We can not be submissive to one another. The Bible says submit yourselves one to another. We can stop the free flow of the Spirit anytime, but as long as we are desperate and hunger for God, hungry for God, we'll experience things and we don't even know how good they are. We don't realize how good we have it. So I just want you to know, if you don't know it's good, let me tell you it's good. It's kind of like the person who's never ate my, my mother's basta with aigya. You've never tasted pasta with agia. Basta, we call it the pasta with agia. If you never had that, you don't know how good that is. But when you eat it for the first time, I just want you to tell you, I want to tell you, that's the best you'll ever have. The problem with some of you, you've, you've ate mama's cooking and you didn't have anyone else's cooking. So you think that's the standard everywhere. They don't always serve that. Did you know that? Zizitsa. You even know what that is? My God, I've got to educate you in the ways of the Italians if you're ever going to go to heaven. We do have a handout. I'd like to get to it, but I'd rather talk about mom's cooking now. All right. So just bear in mind that, that, that five-fold ministry of offices work with and in the gifts. They do work and in the gifts. However, the whole body of Jesus Christ is commissioned to covet or pray for the spiritual gifts to be operating in everyone who has the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So just because these offices are established, which govern and direct the body of Jesus Christ, that does not preclude the saint, the believer, the Holy Ghost-filled individual from operating in every gift that's been given. Of course, they always must be operated as we spoke a couple weeks ago, decently and in order. Here we go. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Everyone say the word of wisdom. 
to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit. That's number two. To another word, faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. Underline discerning of spirits. Would you do that? To another different kind of tongues. To another interpretation of tongues. Go back to different kind of tongues. That could be the tongue of men and of angels. We find this out in the next chapter. The tongue of men and of angels. Some can be, can be recognized as, as legitimate tongues that can be interpreted. And some are tongues of angels that cannot be known except through the Holy Spirit. All these work with that one and self same capital S Holy Spirit. Dividing to every man severally as he will. So the... We're going to deal with the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. So, let's just give some definitions. By definitions, these nine gifts of the spirit are not man-made. They are not man-made. They're not conjured. They're not manufactured. They are not, we did not create them. No church, organization, no denomination created the gifts of the spirit. Secondly, supernatural gifts are not learned behavior. You cannot go to a conference to learn how to prophesy. Although there have been conferences and conventions and schools where people go to pay big money to learn how to prophesy. That is not prophecy. That's Miss Cleo. And I could have given you her number way back in the 90s, $3.99 per minute, and she would have taught you. There's other learned behavior that people have learned. They've learned to negotiate um, an individual. They've learned how to read people. They're reading people. Clothing, um, the way someone uh, presents themselves, hair, age, names, disposition, language, and they read people. And so because they're very good at that, they'll present themselves as someone who is mystical when they're not really mystical they're just very profoundly aware of human characteristics so i just want you to know the gifts of the spirit the supernatural gifts are not learned behavior you're never going to learn how to use that or how to develop it you'll learn how to use it you won't learn how to develop that like you learn how to play the piano Next one, a person must be born again in the Spirit to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Because before you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you must be born of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, or next, sound judgment is a human ability, not a spiritual gift. So, I've got to tell you that even wonderful, faithful believers have sound judgment, and oft time people confuse sound judgment for the spiritual gift. Dave Ramsey has sound judgment. But Dave Ramsey's sound judgment, Total Money Makeover, which all of you should read, and you should go to Peace University here in this church when we have it again. Brother, Brother Terry Broadstreet just got done with, with, with one. That sound judgment. So if I told you, you probably should not buy that. And you probably, that's, that's not a good purchase. That doesn't mean I'm operating in the gifts of the Spirit. That could have just been sound judgment. Now, I've done that from time to time and people have said, but that, you were just used of God. Not really. Maybe, but probably not. It's probably that I knew you couldn't afford it. Oh my. 
There is no age requirement to operate in the gifts. We've got this idea sometimes that, that children uh, cannot be used as gifts. I, wanna, I, I differ with you. I have seen young children say things, operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and God used them to do something that was supernatural. So just by definition, and I've not exhausted them, I'll add more later. I do want to talk about origin and characteristics, or the character, rather, of the gifts. And it's interesting that the gifts have a character. Let's just talk about the origin. The origin should be easily identifiable. However, in more recent times, some people have promoted the idea that laying on of hands is an impartation of spiritual gifts. I cannot lay hands on you and impart to you the gift of prophecy or the word of wisdom. That's not how this works. I can, I can, I can lay hands on you and pray over you that there would be an impartation of the Holy Spirit. But that comes directly from God. Now the reason why I bring this up is because this has been tried at different places. Where people lined up and someone decided, I'm going to give you the gift of wisdom. Wrong. That did not happen. People left just as dumb as they walked in. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but... It was true. You know, you can't always speak the truth. This is not something we pass around. It's not, a, it's not something you pass around. This is not an appointment given by men to men or women to women. This is a spiritual act of God for specific moments to be used for the benefit of the body of Jesus Christ. All right. Um... The origin is always God, as stated in the first few words of Genesis, in the beginning God. Always go back to that, in the beginning God. Whenever you're going to start anything of significance, it's with God. It's in God. It's through, it's through the Lord. So the origin must be God if the gift is in his likeness. Let's do that. So if it's man-made or delivered from person to person, then the gift is in kind of the giver. It's in kind gift. The gift is always in kind to the giver or of the giver. Whoever gives you the gift. So, a poor man doesn't have the means to give you wealth because he doesn't have it to give. A poor man cannot give you a new home. That's not in kind. Um... He, he only gives what he has. So it's, it's always in kind of the giver. It's always, I'm not talking about kindness. I'm talking about likeness. I'm talking about, I'm talking about part of the, of the, of the, of the character of the giver. That's why all spiritual gifts come from God. Because he retains all spiritual power. So the origin is from God to the body of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I take so much time with this is because, well, I'm not going to tell you all the stories, but I, there are many, many, many stories. And part of this is because I have a 51-year-old tenure, 51 years of tenure in the apostolic church. And I've seen enough nuts and crazy folks just because, and Brother Hudiger has told me this, we have light, wonderful, beautiful, marvelous light, but light also attracts bugs. And 
there are bugs that float around and they sometimes they get too close to light and they, and they fry out. There are people who do walk in. I, I remember a lady who came in and she had um, crazy for Jesus t-shirts all the time. She carried a 45 Magnum in her purse and finally... It, it, it finally ended the day she decided to witness to somebody while she was coming, going to, I don't know, to the grocery store. Someone picked her up and they didn't want to hear about the Lord. She pulled her 45 and said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. So for the next hour, that person, whoever it was, uh, feared for the life and sat in the car and heard her testimony. And then she was arrested after that. She was the one who imparted spiritual gifts. I've also seen Maybe good-meaning, maybe not well-meaning ministers try to do these things and they always fall flat because it's not given to me to give you a spiritual gift. I can give you a job in the church and instruction and teaching, but it's up to God whether he gives you something and then it's up to him when he wants you to use it for the body of Jesus Christ. So the reason why I say this because when we get into people giving spiritual gifts to people, we get into the elevation of the personality. See, my problem is I got a big personality and that's my mother's fault. And my father a little bit, mostly my mother. The problem that we have is I've got a big personality, that's my problem. And I've got to, I've got to squash my personality lest it overcomes all of the ministries that ought to operate in the church. The more charisma the leader the more dangerous the leader because he becomes centralized. But thank God we have a pastor's wife who tells, us, tells her husband, you don't have to speak all the time in the microphone. And says to her, her husband, why don't we go to a conference? It's good to have someone else preach to you for 45 minutes. Now you know what it feels like. I'm like, Paul, I prayed three times for that thorn to be removed and he said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. So there she is. These are just jokes. Mostly true, but, but. So the problem with spiritual gifts, when they're delivered in the wrong way or when people try to monopolize them as if they owned them, created them, or retained them somehow from learned behavior or someone touched them, is that that creates a cult personality. And that is a dangerous thing in the body of Jesus Christ when there's a need and everyone looks to the person because they think they have the answer. Careful. It could be a nine-year-old that has the answer. Or a new convert that just came in and got the Holy Ghost last week that God decides to use. Because he's not going to share his glory with anyone. So if anyone's getting glory through the operation of the gifts of spirit, that means they're out of the order of Jesus Christ. Because they're getting something that belongs to God. And boy, am I ever loaded with a bunch of stories. Let's just move on. I'll tell you them later, maybe. The character of the gifts. All gifts, all gifts are reflective of the nature of Jesus Christ. All gifts. They never move out of the nature of Jesus Christ. Now be careful about the nature of Jesus Christ. Some of you just think he was meek and lowly, which is true, but there's other aspects to the nature of Jesus Christ. He also ran off the money changers and beat them, kicked over tables. Now that doesn't mean that he did that all the time, but he rebuked the Pharisees and called them... He called them whited sepulchers full of dead man's bones. So in the nature of Jesus Christ, there's correction and rebuke and instruction. And there's love and mercy and compassion. It's a great balance. But all gifts are 
reflective of the nature. The supernatural gifts are subject to the word of God. And I have in your next line, the written word takes precedent over whatever is spoken. And I shouldn't have capitalized the next one because they're never in conflict. If they're in conflict, it means that whoever is speaking a word is wrong because God won't defy the written word. This is God breathed. What I hold in my hand is a breath from God. He's the author. See, there's only two authors in the Bible. Did you know there's only two authors? God is the author. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's many writers. 32 writers. There's a bunch of writers. There's only two authors. God and the other one is by default. We know the other one is. God is not the author of confusion. Which means that the devil is the author of confusion. God's the author of the scripture. The devil is the author of confusion. So... Whatever I speak must be in concordance or in alignment with the written word. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Here's the next line. Each gift retains the character of love as well as unique characteristics that pertain to its purpose. Mm -hmm. And finally, God establishes the communicator of the vehicle. God establishes that. He establishes how it's going to be used so that the gifts are not a sign of spiritual maturity or, spir- or superiority because the, the gifts rest upon the power of God, not the credibility or the knowledge the depth of knowledge of God by the individual. Had that been the case, the early church, or at least the second generation church, would have had less in common with the scripture than those that have been with Jesus. So if it's the case that only those who have great tenure in the church can be using the gifts, then we are in big trouble. Because now we're, we're now we are, we are, we are making Maturity or superiority, a prerequisite of the gifts of the Spirit. When, in fact, everyone's going to get the same reward, and everyone who is born of the Spirit is born of the same Spirit. All right. How are we doing? Hold your applause for later. Thank you. So just a thought for you comes from Acts chapter 3, verse 12. This is a... Really, this is a brand new Peter. In fact, you, you got to know, when you get to Acts 3, you're talking about a fish out of water. Peter has spent three and a half years with Jesus. He's been transformed. He's never done anything outside of the presence of Jesus Christ until Acts 3. Never. He's always relied upon the power of the incarnate God. Now, Peter and John go up to the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour and they saw a man lame from his mother's womb and the man looked on him on them and they fastened their eyes upon him and he asked of them alms and Peter and John said silver and gold have we none but such as we have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth Nazareth rise up and walk and the Bible says he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and the man leaping and walking and dancing into the temple and now here is what's happening people thought that Peter 
was a god. And when Peter saw that they were heaping accolades on him, he said, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power, our goodness, godliness, authority, we made the man walk? We didn't do it. He, he diverted the attention to Jesus Christ. That is one of the things he learned in three and a half years. Peter submitted to the Holy Spirit. All right. I want to talk a little bit about greater. Everyone say greater, greater, greater. What is greater? Greater than, greater also, the greater. What is the greater? When supernatural gifts are divinely ordered of the Lord and they're used in order in the church, let all things be done decently and in order, they're never in conflict with the Holy Spirit. They're never in conflict with the Holy Spirit. Um, I have this on my paper, but I just gave you the reference so you can look at Matthew 9. I won't cover every verse, but I just want to remind you of this particular chapter. There was a man sick of the palsy. He lied on a bed and he saw the faith of the men. And he said to the sick of the palsy, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And certain of the scribes said within themselves, he's blaspheming. Of course, the Lord knew their thoughts. Did you know the Lord knows your thoughts? Wherefore, or why do you think evil in your hearts? Is what the Lord said to them. And then he said in verse 5, this is a critical verse. If, If you have your Bibles, it's a great verse to underline. Is it easier... Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. What's easier? He's going to give us the greater measure. What's greater? But that ye may know that I have power on earth to forgive sins. The only reason why he's going to heal the lame man is because he just wants to establish his authority over sin. This is critical to us. He says, take up your bed and walk, and the man arose. So, It leads us to the greater measure, the greater. You've got to understand the greater, especially when we're we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. The greater. Thus, ladies and gentlemen, salvation is greater than the healing of illness, sickness, disease. Salvation is greater. It's better for you to be saved than for you to be healed. My problem that I have in the modern church is that more people are desperate to be healed than they are to be saved. They cry at the altar. They pray at the altar. They say, please pray for my son, my daughter, my wife, my child, my cousin, my neighbor. They are sick. But I rarely get the prayer request, please pray for that same person because they are lost. The greater is always salvation. Yes, I want them to be healed. We're going to pray for all the sick people, all the people that need need healing. But you've got to consider the greater, and Jesus gave us the greater in Matthew chapter 9. The salvation, this salvation, this salvation is greater. The gifts then are used for the direction of the body and to lead people to the greater part of what? Salvation. The gifts are never to be used that lead us away from salvation. Even if it's instruction or rebuke or something revealed, it's to heal us, to save us. That's right. The greater 
It's for the gospel to be heard and to be received. So I have to tell you that because there have been instances in different places, and I don't think it's happened here, where people want to be using the gifts right about the time that the gospel was going to be preached. Hold on a second. Let the gospel be preached and hold off on the gifts of the Spirit. Because if one person goes to hell because they were not saved according to the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection, what difference does the gifts make? What is the, what is the greater? I can, I want, here's what the Lord said. I want, I'm here to forgive sins. But just so you would believe that I can forgive sins, I'll do something you can't do. I will, see, they thought it was up to them to absolve the man of his sins. Who is this man? I'll do something that you can't do just to prove that I have the power to forgive sins. Rise up and walk. When he rose up and walked, it gave the Lord the ability to, to send the message. My real purpose here is not to heal. That's a byproduct of my, of my love and my nature. Amen. Okay. <laughs> my next line for you is this. While spiritual gifts are to be coveted, coveted and used, they are not meant to dominate a meeting. They are for specific purposes under the banner of the gospel's message. Now we're going to get into the spiritual gifts. We want, it, we want them active. But I love the, the idea of temperance. Um, we had the gifts. There was tongues and interpretation Sunday night. It was beautiful. But there was more than that. There was a gift of prophecy that went forth Sunday night. Did you know that? So my mother gave tongues and interpretation. Kendra Schott gave seven words of prophecy. And there was another gift that was being exercised Sunday night that I saw. It was a gift of faith. A few Sunday nights ago, there was another gift of faith operated in the church. So I know just within the span of three weeks, three major spiritual gifts were being used in the body of Jesus Christ. But as I told you when we started, they flow so easily, sometimes we don't recognize what's happening when they're happening. It's beautiful. This is how it should be. In fact, if they stand out so much that no word can be heard, then it could be that we're out of balance. So I just want you to remember these few things. Someone can die of an illness and still be saved. And another can be healed of the same illness but be lost. I'm sorry if that's disconcerting to you. But Jesus said it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in the day, Lord, Lord, uh-oh, here's a spiritual gift. Did not we prophesy in your name? Spiritual gifts cast out devils and perform miracles. The working of miracles is a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts will be used by people who will be lost because the Lord will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You are an evildoer. Whew. That puts a little trepidation in my step. No, I don't want people to die of illness. Of course not. But if you die in Jesus Christ and you're resting in Abraham's bosom and you are part of the body of Christ, I will tell you, you have achieved the greatest achievement 
that you'll ever achieve in life. And if you're healed of a sickness, but then you are lost, which I have seen also, go see Hezekiah. If you are healed of an illness, but then you, you, are, you fall into all kinds of trouble, then, it would be, then, then it's for naught. Your healing is for naught. It meant nothing because your eternal soul lives forever. Your body is going to die anyway. Just so you know, somebody ought to have kept the grave clothes of Lazarus. He's going back. Lazarus, come forth. I loose him and let him go. And by the way, they fit him nicely. Box him up. Those grave clothes are going to go back to Lazarus. His bones have already turned to dust. He got to rise one time. Just so you know, if the Lord tarries, there'll be another group here. There'll be another people worshiping here. We'll all be gone in 60 or 70 years. We'll all be gone. And this is just the fact. But something is going to live beyond your body. It's going to be your eternal spirit is going to live. Your soul is going to live. So you tell me what's better. What's the better investment? The better investment is to feed your spiritual life every day. Bodily gain profiteth a little. I like the little. I'd like to profit a little there. But I'd rather have my spirit in my mind. I'd rather have that strong in the Lord. I'd rather have my commitment deep in God. Amen. We cry at the wrong time. We rejoice at the wrong time. Because we are out of order. Because we ought to be crying when they're born and rejoice when they die. Because if you die in Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever with the Lord. That's easy to say right now. It's, it's impossible for me to say at the funeral. Well, except if it's people that are older and they died of natural causes and everybody's rejoicing because they know, but people are still hurt, they're wounded because it's our loss. That's the human fallibility. That's our frailness. But on a Wednesday night, I just want you to know there is something more important and the greater is your salvation. And everybody said amen. Now, I just want, I added this in, in our, in our uh, handout, but I spent a lot of time on it in previous weeks. The gifts have no value except as they're used through love. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13, you're going to find the gifts. If I prophesy, if I have the word of knowledge and I don't have love, the love is the foundation where all the gifts stand. If there's no love, those gifts destroy people. They destroy all lives. I've seen churches ripped apart because things were delivered hateful, with axes to grind, people were saying things to other people just to get back at them, all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. So that foundation of love, they have to be used through love if they're going to have any chance of doing what they're designed to do through Jesus Christ. Remember the character of the gifts. Do you remember the character of the gifts? Remember this. Jesus is always interested in a long-term relationship. He's never going to jeopardize his relationship with you by crushing your spirit. And if that's what his intentions are, what should mine be? What should yours be? How are we doing? We doing okay? Okay. Well... Let's go on then. Maybe we'll find something that you find pleasant.
the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. Those are the three gifts, and we're really covering them. So I'm not telling you that we won't go back over these in more depth, but we want to give some, uh, some meat to the bones here. The word of wisdom. I'm just giving you, I'm offering you these three words as a, um, as a large subject overall impact words of the word of wisdom. Insight, this is a spiritual gift, we're still talking about the spiritual gift. Insight, judgment, and guidance. Now the three levels of wisdom are natural wisdom. I'll explain that in a moment. Godly wisdom, and then there's supernatural wisdom. So let's, do, let's just do a little bit of this natural wisdom. People, people can be wise. This is an understanding. They can be wise. And men and women can gain in wisdom. It's not necessarily wise, I mean, not necessarily godly or spiritual, but they can gain in wisdom. There's a lot of people that have wisdom. They have wisdom for specific functions in life. Uh, businesses and 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 maybe um, uh, maybe some sound judgment. Uh, a, a good judge, a good attorney, can be can can have great wisdom, and that's in the natural world. Then there's godly wisdom, which all of us should want to have in our lives. Godly wisdom, we should have wisdom, and it comes from above. We should all have wisdom. That doesn't mean you're operating the gift of are the word of wisdom, but you should have godly wisdom to conduct your life. Sound judgment and good insight, but we're not talking about the supernatural gift. We're talking about being wise in a, in a godly fashion. When we get to the supernatural portion, we're talking about something you could not have known or have judgment about without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 16, the apostles wanted to go to Asia. They, they, they wanted to go to Bithynia. They, but the spirit of wisdom gave them a different direction, which led them to Macedonia. It was a dream. There was a man in Macedonia. The other parts of the scripture show the word of wisdom comes. The word of wisdom is a spiritual gift. When it comes to someone, it can give insight into a specific situation or a guidance, this is what God wants you to do. That's a word of wisdom. Giving direction. It's pointing. Many prophets or people who, who are used in that office use the word of wisdom. Many pastors have been used in a word of wisdom, a spiritual gift. The word of knowledge, the reason why I combine these two is because they're related in certain functions. They have a little bit... Uh, the constitution of them would be different, but the delivery is something similar because the three levels of knowledge are natural, and this is experience or books or something that's being taught. So you could you can get a natural knowledge from books or from personal experience or something you've been taught. That's in the natural. Do you have that, Sister Lori? Do you have that? Okay. And then the second part is godly knowledge. This is what Hosea said. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So in this second part, it's knowledge of the scripture. Godly knowledge. It's what's being taught here tonight. You are hearing godly knowledge. You might, you might hear some, some godly wisdom. I'll leave that up to you. Godly knowledge 
is from the scripture. It makes us wise into salvation. It makes us have understanding of how to conduct ourselves as married people or as single people. It's knowledge. It's, it's, it's the knowledge of God. It's instruction in the word, the godly knowledge, how to live, truth. Go back to the natural knowledge. The natural knowledge could be what you need to learn in your finances, but the godly knowledge is something you, you need to learn about your tithe and your offering. But now we're going to go to a supernatural knowledge, and that is the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is something revealed that the person that's revealing it did not know until they spoke it out of their mouth or until God put it in their mind. In Acts chapter 5, they, were, they must have been having some kind of need and all the people pledged a particular money amount. They pledged to sell something or give something and a couple had a piece of property, Ananias and Sapphira, and they pledged the sale of the property to whatever it was. We could call it a building fund or the needs of the congregation. And when Ananias came in, he offered an amount of money. It was, did not equal what he received for the property. He held back some. And he had conspired with his wife not to give what they had pledged. Now some people take that as not to pledge. I want to tell you, pledge. Pledge by faith. You're all right, except if you hold back what you pledged. I've heard so many people talk about Acts 5 and say, well, I just don't write down pledges because, you know, the Bible, the Bible talks about an answer fire. Well, no, they lied. Are you going to lie? No. Well, then write down a pledge. Well, I'd like to pledge $100, but I don't, what if I fall short? Well, at least you're trying. Now, if you have $100 and you, and you hold back $20, you're going to Dairy Queen, then I'll just pray that you get fat and your arteries will close up. See how terrible I am? I'm, I... I I've got freedom because Tammy's not here, and that's also a bad thing, too. So, no, you just, you don't hold, hold it back. But this is what happened. Peter had the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the word of knowledge revealed the present moment and said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. He knew what Ananias knew, but Peter was told by the Lord what was hidden in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. The word of knowledge. The word of knowledge came to the prophet in Dothan. Every time the king of Syria wanted to make war with the children of Israel, the Lord spoke the word that was spoken in the king's bedchamber to the prophet in Dothan. Elisha knew what was happening. That was the word of knowledge operating even in the Old Testament. Of course, it happened through a prophet. So, the word of knowledge. This is something that God uses to give direction to give instruction, but also to reveal. The word of knowledge often reveals something that's unknown. One moment, at one point, a pastor told me a story about a word of knowledge he did not know, but the person that came to him said to him, if you can reveal what my problem is, I will believe that you can help me with my problem. How how would you like that? (laughs) I've got a problem. I'm not going to tell you. But if you know what my problem is before I tell you, if you can tell me what my issue is, I'll know you have the wisdom or the knowledge to deal with me. Yes. That's exactly what the problem was 
when Daniel was approached and all the magicians were approached and all the soothsayers were approached. And the king said, I've got a dream. I need the answer. And they also will tell us the dream. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. You tell me my dream and then tell me what the answer is. Because <laughs> he didn't want anyone making up something false. So I'm coming to you now. I've got a dream. I, I want you to tell me what my dream is and then I'll know you can give me the, the revelation or the meaning of it. That's impossible, right? Yes. So when the person, when that woman sat in his office and the pastor's wife sat there and, and she said to the pastor, if you can tell me what my issue is, I know that you'll have the answer to get me out of this. And the word of knowledge came and the pastor said, you're not a woman, you're a man. And she, he said, you're right. I was in Amsterdam. I sold my body, had all this reconstructive surgery done. I know I'm lost in sin. I don't know if I have enough money to get to reverse everything. But they guided that individual back. <laughs> How about that? And I can tell you many, many, many more stories. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Wisdom giving direction. Knowledge giving revelation for the moment. And then comes deserting of spirits. This is a big one. They're all big, but this is a big one in the day in which we live. The deserting of spirits, when I say spirits, I'm not just talking about the Holy Spirit, but it is also pertaining to the Spirit of the Lord. Is to know or discern beyond the natural realm. It is an understanding of how to respond um, this particular gift i I had a couple of wonderful Sunday school teachers when I was young uh, reveal it to me that as a worship leader when I was young, something happened to me and I remember moving in the Spirit. I could feel the flow of the Holy Spirit. And from time to time, as I was leading in worship, the, the Lord, uh, 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 I can't describe it to you, but it wasn't chills or anything, but, it, but it, was, it was as if I could see where we should go next. And the mood of the spirit, where the Lord was moving, that happened to me at a very young age. It moved, I, I was, I've been in and out of the zerning of spirits, not always, but the zerning of the Holy Spirit has, has often been with me. And I knew how to respond, not always, but in those times I, I, I knew how to respond to where the spirit of the Lord was, was moving the church. But there's also an understanding of how to deal with an individual because we all uh, have to be led to. So this discernment of the spirit or of spirits help us to deal with people in their particular situation. Not only that, but discerning spirits give a protection from dark spirits. And when I say dark spirits, you can, you can superimpose demonic spirits or evil spirits. I just put dark spirits. Because... There are some things that we ought not deal with or mess with or, or be around. We should run from them. We should, we should not try to tackle them head on. 
You know, there, don't be afraid. The flight or fight mechanism in your natural could also be in your spiritual walk too. Because Paul said, flee fornication, run from it. Solomon wasn't wise enough to handle it. David didn't have a heart enough or passion enough to, to get away from it. And Samson wasn't strong enough to break it. All of them um, were brought down by fornication. So some things you don't need to be around. You know, this idea that, that we're going to be, I don't know what they call it, rubbernecking or something. You stick your head out the window and you look at an accident. You want to see what's going on. Don't slow down for that. Uh, because there are spiritual things that happen. You don't need to necessarily be around it. And there's spiritual darkness. But discerning the spirits is going to tell you where to, where to go, where not to go. Some people have a spirit of seduction on them. Oh, man. Tammy and I have been in the office. We've met with people. Since we were married, we, we did this together. I can remember we were evangelizing somewhere. And, 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 and uh, uh, when we left, uh, Tammy said to me, uh, you know, that woman was flirting with you. And I said, oh, no, she wasn't. Yes, she was. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Tammy said, yes. Because, of course, women know what other women are doing. Men mostly do not. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So this, <laughs> this gift can help you, lead you away. Some people have a spirit of lust on them. That all they talk about is money, the lust of things, items. You can get sucked into that. Some people have a spirit of pride about them. And they'll come in almost passive aggressively to insert their pride, spirit, pseudo-spiritual pride, to take control of your life. I've talked to you a couple weeks ago about the church bully who preys upon people that are a little weaker. The church bully they have a spirit upon them that tries to insert their authority and dominate the lives of people. And so the Xerneas spirits gives you, it, when, you, when you're walking in that, it gives you protection and where not to go and where to go. And a knowledge of direction. This is a knowledge of direction for moving it in and through the Holy Spirit. A knowledge of the Xerneas spirits. Now, the Bible says we can pray or earnestly seek for these things. So God can impart these spiritual gifts in your life. And you want them. You need them. You need the word of wisdom. You need the word of knowledge. You need to have discerning of spirits. There are times, not always, there are times when I will walk past people, put my hand on them, and I'll feel something immediately. Sometimes it's disconcerting. That is the discerning of spirits. It provokes me. To either speak to them about an issue or to pray for them. And most of the time, I just go to pray, prayer for them. There have been times that the Lord has shown me something. It was a word of knowledge that immediately I knew what they were into at that given moment. The word of knowledge has, has sometimes come to me and the Lord revealed to me what had happened in someone's past. And when I talked to them, they said, how did you know? And I said, well, I just felt like the Lord 
spoke this to me and I don't want to be offensive, but if this is part of your past, we've got to work on this. And yes, it was. So this is not something that we play around with, but the gifts of the spirit are for the operation of the body of Christ to give health to the body. So the body is not dysfunctional. There is, there, there is a church on every street corner that boasts of certain talents and abilities, but it's not the church that has a lot of people or abilities or talents. It's the spiritually healthy, functional body of Jesus Christ that we want to have here at this house. That means we have to be absent of many things. We have to be absent of the works of the flesh because the works of the flesh always interrupts the gifts of the Spirit. If you would think that your particular life and your actions don't mean anything, let me just point out a situation in the life of Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho and it was a well-fortified city. Chariots would ride on top of of the premises of those walls. They were so wide and so thick. The people laughed into scorn. They were just marching around. But when the walls came down, they tumbled down and the children of Israel marched in and they, they slaughtered everything. God said, don't keep anything. This particular city is going to be like a sacrificial offering. Burn everything. But one man, Achan, decided he didn't want to take and burn everything. So he took a wedge of silver and some fabric and little things and he put them underneath his tent. And they went to the next battle, which was a little bitty farming town of corrupt people called Ai. And they lost the battle in Ai. And those wicked people that didn't have very much military might overtook the children of Israel. And at the campfires that night, mothers were weeping over their lost sons. And wives were crying for their lost husbands. And Joshua was on his knees saying, God, how could we defeat Jericho? But we, we were defeated. How were we defeated at Ai? What's happening? And God said, there's sin in this camp. Was it rampant sin? Was it systematic sin? Was it universal sin? No, it was just one man who decided he would take what God had commanded to destroy. This happened twice in the Bible. The other notable time was that Saul did not kill all the Amalekites. He did not. Instead, he saved Agag the king and the best of the sheep, he said, and of the oxen and some people. And guess what happened? The Amalekites rose back up to fight Israel again later on. See, this is a side note. But when you don't utterly destroy the things in your life that God said to utterly destroy, they'll come back to wage war against you in the future. And Achan and, Achan and his family were destroyed that day. Because that sin that he committed caused great death. And no one could move on into the promised land until they were all in unity and in harmony. So I would say to you that we have to discern what is right. We have to know most of the time it's going to be godly wisdom and godly knowledge. Life is going to teach us some things. Can I just pause and say, you don't always need the gift of discerning of spirits to stay away from some things. Please tell me that you are not involved in it because 
you had good sense. <laughs> Tell me that you didn't have to use all the gifts of spirit to stay away from some things and some people, right? It's just called spiritual intuition. All right. Please note a few more things. We're almost done here. Here's a couple notes for you. Not all of the mind of God is displayed through discernment. So you don't know all the mind of God. That's a a gift. But you don't know everything that God says. It's a gift for a specific time for a specific reason. I don't know anyone who walks around and uses any of these nine gifts 100% of the day. You might know that you're used in the gift, but it's from time to time. That's right. Um, This is meant for a moment, just as other gifts are used for moments. And this gift is primarily used, the gift of discernment of spirits, for the saints to make a judgment or to discern the nature. Everyone say the nature. The nature of a spirit, whether it be of God or man. The the nature of God, where God's leading, or a demonic spirit. A demonic spirit. There is a spirit of lying, because God God once sent a spirit of lying. There is a spirit of lust. That can be developed through lustful actions. There is a spirit of greed on people because they're very, very greedy. Yes. These spirits are prevalent. They are. If you look at the last part of your handout, it says Acts 16. There was a little girl, a teenager, we presume, that was used in the spirit of divination. She was telling the truth about Peter. I'm I'm sorry, about Paul and the apostles. But the apostles did not want to be associated with those dark spirits. See, being supported by demonic spirit is a detriment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the last days, there's going to be false Christ. They're going to be joined by false prophets, false brothers. And they want to latch on to people of truth. And Paul knew that that spirit would destroy the gospel's message. And so he turned and cast out the spirit of divination. There is a spirit of divination. What was it doing? That spirit of divination was revealing a truth. And that girl was used by men to make money. What does that tell you? That just as Moses stood before Pharaoh and cast down his rod and it became a serpent and the magicians cast down theirs, their rods and they became serpents. I don't know if it was a trick or not. His serpent ate up all the rest of them. The devil has a counterfeit for whatever God has. Always has. He's going to counterfeit everything. So you need to make sure that whatever gift is being used or around you is being used through the divine unction of the Holy Spirit and not an imitation. And you need to be careful not to fall in, um, not, not, not to fall in deceit when you see other people who, who are saying they are using gifts, but they're not being used as gifts, and they're using them to make money or to bolster themselves. Are we all okay now? Everybody got that? Okay. I am just going to push, push the pause button, and at the same channel and the same time, I'll be back next week.